I'm Georgie Frost and welcome to the second series of All About Apprenticeships, brought to you by the HomeServe Foundation. Now, whether you're an apprentice or thinking about becoming one, an employer, or simply are interested in the subject, then this is the podcast for you. In this series, though, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Now, in series one, we set the scene. There's absolutely no way in a million years I would be on telly if I hadn't have done that apprenticeship at Black & Decker, no way. When I first started and I told a lot of my friends that I'm going to do a plumbing apprenticeship, it was sort of the case of why would you want to do that, you're just going to be unblocking toilets and that kind of thing. I think the, the idea of it is wrong, I think people don't actually know what it is. What I can, I think, say safely for someone who's done an apprenticeship in the British Army is that they also get those life skills. We need skills and learning for everybody. And if you just look at those school leavers and say, not everybody wants to go to university, uh, so we should have more apprenticeships. Actually, at school, engineering was just as much for girls as it was for boys. I think I learned so much more at work than I do at university. Um, So I'm in my third year of my degree, and I can honestly say that you will never match the kind of learning on the job aspect. But this time around, we're going to be delving much deeper, taking on a fresh debate each week with the help of some brilliant guests. We will answer all your questions, hopefully, and we'll be tapping into the apprentices themselves to get their take on the news that's relevant to them. In this episode, I'm going to be handing over the podcast reins to Jasmine King and Dexter Hutchins, who you might remember from the last series. But for the first episode of this series, where else could we start with that age-old question, university or an apprenticeship? What do you need to take into account when making the decision? And once you've decided that an apprenticeship is the way forward, how do you make sure you find the right one? Well, to help us navigate all of that, we've got Anna Morrison from Amazing Apprenticeships and John Cope, Director of Strategy, Policy and Public Affairs at UCAS, with us now. Okay, key factors. Let's go there at the start. Key factors that go into making the decision, university or apprenticeship. Anna? Gosh, it's it's a long-standing challenge, isn't it? I remember 20-odd years ago when I was at school, it was still, um, we were still having this conversation, university or something else. And, um, and I think what's really important for me is that we don't pitch the two against each other. And for me, it's all about choices. Because we now have higher and degree apprenticeships, and many of those are delivered by higher education institutions, so universities for um, for, for normal people, you know, university and, and that concept of going to university, it's not an or or a versus for me. It's more about how do you like to learn and what kind of environment is best going to suit you. So you've got full-time university and then you have part-time university through a degree apprenticeship. And it's the same degree. It's delivered slightly differently. Um, Obviously, as an apprentice, you spend more of your time in the workplace. Um, But I think it's quite exciting that the debate has shifted and can shift. It's just we've got to do a bit more to get help schools and teachers and careers advisors and parents to kind of come along with that conversation as well. John, we shouldn't pitch one against the other. Absolutely. And I, I would I would completely agree with that. Um, and you know, it's very important not only not to pitch one against another, but actually not to think of this as a university versus an apprenticeship, because actually, you know, universities have really embraced apprenticeships and lots of apprenticeships now take place in universities. And actually, the reverse is true as well. You know, about 10 percent and growing of higher education takes place in colleges um, and apprenticeships often actually come with a degree as part of them. So I think what, what we're really seeing here, and this is this is a good thing, 
um, for, for the system and for everyone involved, but could be a little bit daunting for, for applicants, is that the education system is going from a really simplistic binary approach. You know, you go back even longer um, than 20 years ago, you go back 50, 60 years ago, and it was a really small percentage of people who went to a few elite universities. And, you know, it was relying on your social connections, your, your sort of um, your, your, um, your socioeconomic background and your privilege and your understanding of the system is how you got in there. And over the last 60, 70 years, we've seen the, the number of people going into secondary education, then onto their A-levels or whatever, uh, BTECs and things like that, and then to university or whatever, massively increase. Um, and now we're going into the next stage where, you know, you've seen the massive increase in the number of people going on to further education and higher education. We're now seeing lots of new options coming up. So you've got apprenticeships, you've got degree apprenticeships, you've got higher technical qualifications, which are kind of a, a, almost a hybrid where you've got still a big chunk in the workplace, but a large part of it is actually still learning. And then you've got your traditional options, you know, you've still got your kind of bachelor degrees and things like that. And, and what, I, what my point here is that that's a great thing more people going to education uh, than ever before and more options than ever before is a good thing but from an applicant's point of view that can be really daunting um, and that's you know the whole purpose of what UCAS is about you know is trying to make that daunting array of options easy digestible thinking about what's the right choice for me can I get access to you know, talk to somebody who's actually done an apprenticeship learn about their experience think about what they want to do with their life, maybe test it a little bit and then make sure they make the right decision for them. Options are good, Anna. I mean, I've read some behavioural economics, but too many options become a little bit overwhelming. And John's pointed that out quite nicely. But also, I wonder if there's a misunderstanding of, um, I don't want to say a certain generation, because I would put myself in that. But there are now so many different options. The you know, I'm I'm almost 40, so I'm of that generation. But, you know, my parents were the other generation above. And, and, they, and apprenticeship have changed through those generations. But to the point that I think most people, sort of my age, my parents' age, wouldn't really understand what's going on. And they're the teachers, they're the parents that are helping their children make those decisions. You both are well, you know, versed in apprenticeships and, and the environment. But the ordinary person, I would suggest, is probably not. Do you believe that that's a sort of fair statement? Do we need to do more about educating the wider public about apprenticeships? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We spend this is basically what I spend all day, every day doing, um, trying to help to raise awareness about apprenticeships and other pathway options. You're absolutely right, Georgie, to pick up on the myriad of options that are available now. And it's it is really hard, I think, for for parents and, you know, for professionals, careers advisors, careers leaders, teachers in schools to stay on top of that. And, um, and really be able to signpost each individual student and engage their families in that decision-making process as well. Um, we know that a lot of teachers themselves will have been through the university system, probably in a quite a traditional way in that full-time sense. So, um, so that will be an area of comfort for them or, or kind of a bit more comfortable for them to talk about with students potentially than other options, um, some of which have been around for ages, like apprenticeships, but change fairly regularly. And so it's quite a big job to stay on top of all of the changes. There's definitely more that we need to do. And I think trying to make it so that that information is going out regularly 
So it doesn't feel like an, a daunting annual task for you to try and sit down and work out all of these options. But I really think part of the trick is kind of really keeping that drumbeat of information going throughout the year and trying to get high quality information out in a variety of different ways. So we've now obviously kind of written case studies and guidance booklets are brilliant. But then you've got websites, you've got podcasts like this, you've got other ways that we can try and engage um, different parents, teachers, key influencers in helping to understand those options. The nail on the head um, is careers advice. You know, making sure that careers advice doesn't become an afterthought or a nice to have or something like that is the most kind of impactful thing that we can do. And when we when we talk to applicants and we regularly have our surveys and events and things like that, you find a really odd situation where about fifty percent or so are interested in doing an apprenticeship. So there's massive demand there for people coming to UCAS. And, you know, UCAS still has a perception issue. People still think of us just about university. So actually, for 50% of people going to UCAS to say I'm interested in apprenticeship shows you know, enormous demand there. But actually, when you say, have you had advice? One in three um, um, say they haven't. So one in three coming to us say they have no information at all at the point they get to UCAS about apprenticeships. And that, that's the travesty um, there. And what we're trying to do about this, we say so we have a platform um, called Career Finder, and we're trying to collate all of the different opportunities, all the different apprenticeship, all the different higher technical, all the different BTEC, um, city and guilds type qualifications, and to make sure that on a par with the university. And when you come to our website, you can actually see all these different options. You can weigh it all up. Um, but we can only do so much. Um, and the point that I would sort of make here is uh, the, the huge onus on employers. You know, employers are the ambassadors for apprenticeships because they are the thing that is unique about an apprenticeship in so many different ways. So actually employers, waxing lyrical, being the ambassador, say, actually, you know, if you do an apprenticeship, you might want to get a job. You know, it, all these kind of, all these kind of uh, messages to young people, employers can be the best marketeers for apprenticeships, I think. And they do a huge job, but can always do more. John, can you just really briefly explain the role of UCAS for anyone who's not aware of uh, actually what you do? Because I thought it was universities mostly. You know, it's in the title, is it not? I mean, how do you frame the choice equal weight to both? Just explain to the uninitiated. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. So the U does stand for university, but the C stands for college. Um, and you know, we have always um, aspired to um, you know, serve the college, university, and, and 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 other sectors. And some people joke about how the A uh, maybe should start to stand for apprenticeship, uh, but sadly at the moment it stands for uh, admissions. But you know, we we're going through a journey, and you know, if we were, I suppose honest with ourselves uh, we have kind of been like a lot of the rest of the education sector a lot of the rest of, of people and probably put too much emphasis on traditional university three-year bachelor's degree historically um, so we're going through a big um, kind of investment at the moment in that career finder platform that I, that I spoke about to make sure that when you come to ucas.com and about 700,000 or so young people every every year do go to UCAS as well as as well as adults and when they when they come to the website that they're not immediately here's university here's three bachelor's degree off you go and here are some alternatives if you if 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 you're looking for something else we're making sure that you do have that proper parity and that when you click onto an apprenticeship option the information there is as exciting as compelling as detailed um as as anything for 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 a, a bachelor's degree so and you know I go back to that point I made a bit, uh, earlier 
the big change that we are currently going through on our website is getting employer profiles onto our website and making sure employers sell themselves on UCAS.com. Anna, one in three haven't had careers advice. First of all, if we flip that, um, celebrate that two and two in three have, um, which I think is a massive step forward. And if you think where we were 10 years ago, um, that is a huge development. And um, and I like to think that we've played a small part in, in helping that along in all of the work that we do with schools and colleges and, and those advising young people. I think part of the challenge is um, if it's subtle, those young people may not recognise that they've had any information about apprenticeships. So, um, so because it's often not as obvious in schools as here is your UCAS assembly. So perhaps um, there's more to be done to to kind of help those individuals, those young people to to realise if they are getting access to it. Um, and I'm not saying this system is brilliant and fixed by any means. There is always more work that needs to be done um, to help to get that message across. Um, I do also think we need to bring parents and carers into this conversation because as inspiring and inspired as a young person may be in school, you know, say we get that bit really right. If they go home and say, mum, dad, whoever, I'm going to do an apprenticeship. And if that first reaction is negative or in any way dissuades them from looking into that, um, you know, that key influencer role is so important. And that first reaction for me is so damaging. I also think, um, picking up on what John was saying about the importance of employers, 100% agree with that. Um, we've we've done huge amounts of work on that through our vacancy snapshot area on our website. And it's been one of our most popular, actually, to um, to help young people to see the range of opportunities available with employers, but also to understand what's expected of them through the recruitment process and to dispel some of those myths because there's all sorts of different ways um, that, and techniques that employers will use to help to identify the, the best candidates for them. And even more crucial, I think, in that light bulb moment with young people and teachers and parents as well is the apprentices themselves. I think when you hear from a young person, particularly um an unexpected apprentice, let's say. So, and you know, I'm not going to put any bias on that. It could be someone who's done brilliantly academically. It could be someone who's overcome significant personal challenges. It could be anything like that. You know, just hearing those stories from young people and that peer-to-peer conversation is really powerful. We are seeing a shift in what parents are are, are thinking and approaching apprenticeships. Um, and we, we do quite a lot of kind of survey work as well with parents to try and understand because you're absolutely right, Anna, yeah, they're a huge, huge influence. And if there's a, so there's a person going through your next steps journey and think about what, what what's the right option for me if you're not getting great advice you do default to your parents um and you can see that replicated where you know if your if your parents a doctor you are you know immeasurably more likely to be a doctor yourself um and that's replicated in every kind of walk of life but the counterfactual i wanted to kind of kind of give um, is some research that the social mobility commission um did um around you know the people that are doing apprenticeships especially degree apprenticeships and they found a lot of evidence that uh, sort of middle class um, kids um, are now going for apprenticeships in greater numbers than ever. And actually, there are some real issues um, appearing in apprenticeships about people from more deprived backgrounds and people from ethnic minority backgrounds, um, people with disabilities or special educational needs um, actually struggling to get an apprenticeship. Um, and this is kind of like a, it's almost like a perverse uh, indicator that the system 
is working because actually because apprenticeships are becoming more uh, higher profile, greater prestige around them, they're becoming much more desirable. And that means that, you know, really engaged parents, we're, um, you know, are pushing their kids towards them. But if you're from a more deprived background or whatever, obviously, you don't have that extra support, you can maybe struggle or not be as sort of inspired to, to pursue it. So in an odd way, you know, as I said, it's like a perverse indicator the system is improving. But we've got to keep in mind that, you know, apprenticeships originally are all of a tool of social justice and trying to give an opportunity to everybody. And we can't forget that. Anna, is there a danger of having an almost two tier system here? hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. And I'm really glad you've brought this up, John, because I actually think it's a red flag that the system is not delivering. So I think disadvantaged, um, you know, we know the power of apprenticeships to change lives. And um, you're absolutely right. That Social Mobility Commission kind of expose, if you like, on apprenticeships last summer has been really, really important. And there's been a number of other reports that have followed since. What we know is that our underrepresented, our vulnerable young people are not getting the same opportunity to access apprenticeships, particularly at the advanced higher levels, degree levels as well, than um, those who are perhaps considered to be, you know, with those sharp elbowed parents, perhaps, or the academically more able, or just those young people who have had access to more privilege. And I do, I mean that in a positive way, you know, it's It is important that all young people have those options available to them. But what's coming next, um, and a lot of the work that I do with the youth employment group is trying to understand the youth employment picture, which of our young people, which groups within our young people are not being represented, are not finding their way into apprenticeships, and then taking action with employers to try and address that. So um, we're working with a number of high profile employers for the next year, actually, on our Genie programme, which is where we're doing this deep dive into social mobility, equality, diversity and inclusion and trying to work with them to really understand the bits of their apprenticeship programmes that are not delivering for underrepresented groups. Whilst I'm really pleased that um, more young people are getting into apprenticeships and higher and degree apprenticeships fantastic what we've got to make sure is that we don't have this tier two uh, two tier system and that we try and intervene and support those who are underrepresented currently in apprenticeships to have that same equality of access to the opportunities as well. John how is how is that to come about because you're an employer and you have options which option are you going to take? the young person from private school who's got all A's and their A-levels and has already got a place at you know, Durham University, but actually know they might want to come to you or someone who perhaps is a, a bit more of a risk. How do we do this? And, and what role could UCAS play? What you just described there is the, the, the very core of why UCAS exists as a charity. We were set up so that, you know, as a young person, no matter where you were in the country, no matter what your background, you could go to UCAS you'd have the same process, you get the same support, you get the same options, you know, you would have that proper level playing field and you'd be able to apply to any university regardless of any of your kind of background and you'd, you'd get that support. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a problem here because there is no equivalent um, on apprenticeships. So, and as UCAS, however much we would love to do that in apprenticeships, it's a very different 
system because you've got employers, you've got providers, you've got loads of other different kind of um, um, sort of um, complicating factors in this. And there is no centralised portal. So as a young person, you or, or as an adult, I shouldn't say young person, you know, apprenticeships are for all people. Um, you know, this 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 um, kind of centralised um, place does not exist. That's what we're working on. And, you know, the career finder platform that I that I, I spoke about earlier is completely free both for employers um, and also for an applicant. So you can go onto it, you can find the options you, you, you're, you're looking for, you can rate them, you can find out the information, you can talk to the employer, you get linked to it. So we're doing a huge amount of work. You know, I, I, I've only been at UCAS not too long, so seven or eight months now. Um, and it's one of the most exciting things I've found is that, you know, we, we're the biggest apprenticeship um, um, kind of employer um, for the police and the NHS. So they both use us to get their apprentices. And you know, thousands of people uh, do it. And you know, obviously, the lot, the year and a half we've just all had the interest in being a nurse or a doctor has massively increased. So we've managed to harness that kind of national spirit that, that's that's happened over the last year to try and get more people to kind of get get into the NHS. So we're trying to position ourselves as that fair, um, stable, um, access, centralised place you can go to get support. But it is really tough. Because actually, you're, you know, you're right. To go back to your, your your example there, Georgia, you know, as an employer, actually, what choice are you going to make? And how do you make that choice? And, you know, employers aren't set up to kind of make these really difficult moral judgments about, you know, what is social justice and things like that. So it is a really tough ask of employers to try and try and do that, although a lot are. What we've got to do is really help employers to understand the steps that they can take and the difference that they can make. And um, and I think we've got to probably steer away from phrases like social justice, like you said, John, and kind of, you know, how do you get your head around that and what your position is as a smaller business, for example. Um, but starting to talk to them more about their local community and who is in their local community and who's looking for an opportunity. And um, and also to help them to see how they might use other programmes to create pathway steps into that. So it could be that they offer a traineeship work experience placement, and that could be an opportunity to bring in a young person who's... Um, whose journey has been disrupted in some way. So perhaps they wanted to get an apprenticeship and a job isn't available, or they didn't want to study full-time college or go on to sit form or, you know, for whatever reason, they might be on a traineeship. And through that, they could have a period of work experience. Or Kickstart is a really good way as well for employers to be able to bring someone in at the moment for a six-month placement. Um, risk-free really because the government pay the salary and they pay the setup costs and the pension and the NI contributions as well and that's a really good way to start to diversify your workforce and perhaps bring in individuals who if you were recruiting in your typical way may not have been successful through the various stages and to look much more at your local community and the opportunities that you can create. Um, a, a classic kind of thing that's been raised a number of times is, is with employers even understanding what's available to them through access to work, for example. So if they employ an individual with additional needs, knowing um, what support's available to them and that they could get funding if they needed it towards reasonable adjustments, or they might be able to access a work coach to be able to so support that individual for apprenticeships as well, you know. So, so again, I think there's a lot of awareness phrasing, but breaking it down for small employers I like I said I'm a small employer you kind of haven't got time to get your head around all of this you're trying to run your business so we've got to find ways to make it really easy for employers to navigate all of this as well 
I want to focus. I mean, we're talking about employers there. Let's let's go back to the apprentices themselves, John. You know, in terms of finding the right apprenticeship for them, obviously you can find an apprenticeship in in England at UCAS, of course. Um, what should you be looking for, and how important is it to get the right employer and training provider? I'm wondering. There must be quite a lot of variation in both, and it. Is it up to the individual person? Yeah, I mean, the, the most important piece of advice I, I always give in this is, is take your time. Uh, these kind of decisions are really, really important. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people kind of perceive the UCAS kind of application process like something that you just suddenly do um, at the end of school um, and you just quickly make decisions and off you go. Whereas actually, you know, the reality is that it's a two, three year process. Um, and we, we recently did a little bit of kind of survey work, actually, that goes back into school and primary. Um, and it's fascinating that a lot of there's a lot of evidence that people start thinking about what they want to do with their life and their career at primary school. And, you know, we, we also know that, you know, gender stereotypes especially start back then. So, you know, girls historically perform exactly the same. It kind of STEM, engineering, maths, and all these kind of subjects at primary school. Um, and then it falls off a cliff when they go to secondary school for no reason. Um, and when you dig under the kind of evidence of why that's happening, so many times it's just about stereotyping. A girl thinking that's not an option for me. So actually, you know, the, the, the most important thing is getting careers advice earlier. So, you know, you shouldn't be getting to 16, 17, 18 year olds and thinking, oh, what should I do? It should have been a case if you've had probably a couple of days work experience, um, you know, with an accountancy firm and a couple of days here with you know, a plumbing firm or whatever it might be. And you've kind of tested the water and you've gone, is this the right thing for me? Is it not the right thing for me? So you know, it's all of these kind of opportunities that need to be much more common. And, you know, if you go to the best schools and the most high performing schools, what I've just described is entirely normal and you will get those kind of opportunities to test. If you go to more deprived areas and, you know, your parents don't have those connections and those networks to make that happen, actually you are getting to quite a late stage, having very little actual sort of evidence, personal experience to base your decisions on. And then it becomes a kind of mechanical, almost academic process where you're looking at the UCAS website and going, oh, well, that looks like me, that looks like me, fingers crossed, off I go. So my, 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 my point here is the earlier careers advice can start, the more you can do little bits of work experience, the more young people can kind of test their career uh, aspirations the more they can look at different kind of courses and subjects, the more the decisions they will make will be the right one for them, the authentic decision for them, and the less likely there is for people to regret their decision. Hello everyone, I'm Dexter Hutchins and I'm a Level 6 Digital Marketing Apprentice at the Edge Foundation. Hi everyone, I'm Jasmine and I'm a Level 6 Chartered Management Apprentice. In this part of the podcast, we're going to be going through some of the latest news and what it means to us as apprentices. Um, So the first story that we'll be talking about this week is the Minister's order for the apprenticeship dropout rate. Um, So what they're doing is they're trying to put together an investigation to kind of look at the dropout rate. Um, So if you weren't aware that uh, as it stands at the moment, one third of apprentices don't actually complete their apprenticeship. Um, So essentially what we're doing is we're paying for these apprentices to go through their programme. Um, but one third, for some reason, aren't completing their apprenticeship. So, Jasmine, do you kind of want to talk through what you think might be the problem here? There's going to be a whole number of factors involved. And I think the pandemic is definitely a key factor, but I don't think that's the main cause alone. I think the whole apprenticeship landscape has definitely changed. A result of the pandemic, you know, we're having to switch to more remote methods of learning. 
and it causes barriers of how kind of people learn and how they're assessed. I did read as well that the minister has found that there's been a large delay and kind of quite a disjoint in between um, apprentices completing their qualification compared to completing their endpoint assessment and actually completing the apprenticeship. And I think when you've got such a long way in between completing your qualification and completing your apprenticeship, you're bound to lose motivation. And I think this is where the question comes in is, is there enough support for these apprentices to guide them through that process? I think there's always been a problem with retention and apprenticeships. And I think that there's a couple of things that probably need to be changed. So I think that there's across the board poor training. So a lot of apprentices actually struggle to find good training providers um, or struggle with engagement with their training provider, which I think needs to be changed. Um, So I think that there needs to be kind of more pressure on um, training providers to actually provide better quality training. Um, And I think one of the other big things is just like general low pay. So as an apprentice, I think that we do a lot of work in terms of like having to go to our training provider, having to actually work four days a week, normally trying to squeeze in another day's work as well, because we're still expected to do quite a lot. Um, And some apprentices are still receiving really low pay, which I think is always going to be off put in. It's on kind of employers to make sure that they're paying their apprentice enough and on training providers to make sure that the quality of the training's um, high enough, which I suppose this is all about flexibility, which leads quite nicely onto like one of the second things which has been in the news recently, um, which is the government has just launched their consultation to create a new flexible apprenticeship. Um, so this is kind of looking at how apprenticeships can be more flexible. And they're not quite sure, obviously, how it's going to work in principle right now. Um, but the plan is that an apprentice will be able to work with multiple employers um, and kind of work maybe a, a few days in one or a week in one. And, and obviously, it's not quite sure how it's going to work in the principle. Way, but Jasmine, have you got I any kind of have ideas that on that? Any scheme or initiative to kind of support apprentices into apprenticeships or further their career path is a great idea. But I think my sort of main concern is, although the apprentice might then be able to meet the 12 month minimum requirement for their apprenticeship, my concern would be who oversees it all. If apprentices are kind of changing employers um, and, you know, working with different projects, they may get lots of exposure, but you don't know who's going to be accountable. And And I think you might be able to relate with me, Dexter, that kind of when you're in a role and you've got the same line manager and you can build a strong relationship with your line manager, perhaps you've got a workplace mentor or a development coach and you're able to build the relationship with your training provider, you've got a huge support network around you. Although some may say it's a great idea, some may say it's a less great idea, I think we have to put the apprentice at the centre of it all. And I think if that was me and I don't know where I may be working next week or next month, I think I would find that quite uneasy and unsettling. No one really knows quite what's going on. And I think in principle, it's an incredible idea for both an employer perspective, but also an apprentice perspective. Um, So I think that it could be a really great idea as long as the flexibility doesn't become like a loss of accountability and structure. Mm. Um, Because as you said, I think there could be kind of this whole thing where no one really knows whose job it is to do what. And actually, apprentices just get a really poor experience. Um, I know that Pearson already do a rotational degree apprenticeship, um, but it's really structured. So basically they work with like huge employers like Direct Line, Tesco, IBM, Pearson themselves, Unilever, Unilever sorry, and Ogilvy. 
Um, and that works with 12 months with their home employer. So one employer kind of takes charge of the apprentice. Um, so say it was Tesco's that done that. They'd be with Tesco's for 12 months and then they'll do eight months um, in two other organizations. And then they'll do the final eight months back with Tesco's again. Um, so there are already kind of like frameworks for how this could work. But I think that the government kind of want this to be more of like a smaller scale. So like for small employers to actually team up. So those small employers that don't have enough work for an apprentice, maybe to be there full time, could kind of do one week with them, one week with another employer, um, could be a couple of days. And I think that it's there where it's going to get a lot harder to manage. So these large organisations obviously probably have the facilities to manage it a lot better, whereas smaller employers may struggle. Would you kind of do it if there was a rotation either within your employer because I think that it's really important that you either rotate around departments or rotate around employers I think it would actually benefit the apprentice would you do it if that was an option to you I think I would I don't know if I'd want to be the first person but see I actually already do a rotational apprenticeship and I'm in the position at the moment where I absolutely love what I'm doing it is so rewarding and as cliche as it sounds it almost doesn't feel like work Now, if I were to be told right next week, you're up and moving, I think I would feel really unsettled. And I think I'd want quite a large degree of kind of say and choice into where I go. And I think that's another part is that the apprentice needs to have that decision. Are they happy where they are? Do they feel like they're learning and meeting their apprenticeship standards? Or are they at a position where they're ready for a new challenge and a new change? I think it is a good initiative. I think it just needs to be executed in the right way. Would you do it, Dexter, if you had that opportunity? I, I definitely think I would. I think I spoke to an apprentice before who's doing the Pearson Rotational Degree Apprenticeship, um, and that actually included, I think, eight months in another country as well, which I think oh, wow. got cut short because of um, COVID. But she was saying just how like, amazing the experience was with these all these different companies. Um, and at the end of it, I think she was actually then offered a job with all the different companies as well, which kind of put her in like the driving seat for her future. Like you were saying, it's really important that that decision is the apprentices and it's not that they go for all of this. And at the end of it, they're kind of left with either no work or kind of just put wherever they're told to go, basically. Um, I think that it does kind of need to be led by what they enjoy and kind of what works for them as well, rather than it just being that they're they're kind of stuck in one department or one employer that kind of doesn't benefit them the most. Um, and I suppose you're then talking about kind of like incentives as well and how it could work with the small employers, um, which kind of brings us on not quite nicely to the, the third thing that we can discuss today that's in the news, um, which is kind of all about um, the advantage of the government's new apprenticeship funding. Um, so obviously the government have increased their funding for people that are taking on apprentices. Um, so the incentives are now higher. Uh, what do you think about this, Jasmine? Do you think that it does encourage employers to take on apprentices or do you think that it's kind of just meaningless? financially it's made a big difference and it's been able to combat combat some of the financial challenges that employers have faced particularly SMEs um, and it you know maybe it's prevented some redundancies I think it is a very good initiative but I think it could do a bit do with a bit of change so the kind of my concerns from what I've read about it is that it may sort of almost cause a rush for employers to employ an apprentice if they weren't considering it or if they're not in a position to recruit an apprentice whether it's their first one or they've been recruiting apprentices regularly I think and we've touched on this already in this episode but the apprentice needs to be in the centre of it all and I think I would rather not take the incentivized payment 
and wait a bit longer until you know the organization's in a better position to recruit an apprentice to make sure they get the best experience I'm a bit like you I'm kind of caught in two minds so I think as a whole it appears quite positive my main worry is that the thing that they're going to miss out on is quality apprenticeships so I think that they're they missed their three million target for apprenticeship starts again I, I don't agree with that target because it was on starts and not kind of complete in completions which as we have already spoken about like retention um is only at two-thirds um but i think that we need to focus on quality apprenticeships rather than lots of apprenticeships um so that's kind of the main worry but then i also think that the incentive kind of overshadows the value of an apprentice so i think we can actually use apprentices as a driving kind of force to actually in- encourage other employers to take on apprentices so if they look at the good work that apprentices are doing, the kind of impact that they're having on the workplace, I think that should actually be enough to kind of drive other employers to join the the kind of recruitment process. Um, Whereas I feel like this incentive kind of pushes it onto a more of a monetary side um, rather than what the apprentice actually brings to the company. At the end of the day, it's money. You've got a very real apprentice there doing a very real job and it's their very real career path. There's more that can be done than just financial support. I think some businesses, um, potentially SMEs, potentially large employers as well, they may have benefited more from more of a one-to-one, almost like a mentoring development support. You know, how do you bring in an apprentice during the middle of the pandemic? How can you bring in that new talent to support your business whilst everything is going on around you? How are we meant to learn and develop and continuously improve our apprenticeship offering if we haven't got that support that isn't financial because there's only so far that money can get you every point we've spoken about all the different news um, stories today have kind of come back to like this apprentice centric view um which i suppose is kind of outweighed by the fact that we are apprentices ourselves um so it may be slightly flawed that we are apprentices but i think that it is important that apprentices are kind of one asked about these types of things but also um that we kind of have a say and that that it is a focus um So yeah, I suppose just as a final point, it is just important that apprentices have a say in this and that that at the end of the day, they are the people that are receiving the training, they are the future workforce. So it is important that we we kind of look through their eyes and and see how it will affect them um, and also employers. um, Because obviously, if apprentices are dropping out, that does come at a cost to both government and employers themselves as well. Thank you so much to Jasmine and Dexter and also to John Cope from UCAS and Anna Morrison from Amazing Apprenticeships. And thank you for listening to the first episode of Series 2 of All About Apprenticeships. If you want to get in touch to have your say on anything we've been talking about today, you can find the HomeServe Foundation on Twitter at HSV underscore foundation. Just use the hashtag All About Apprenticeships. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a rating and hit subscribe. It helps other people find us.